Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to the weekly roundup. I've got a bunch of cool things to show you, a couple of demos, so uh, pretty excited for that. Um, also, this is now officially a podcast, so it's on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn, as well as YouTube. Um, YouTube's still probably the best way to view it so that you could see everything that I, I have to show, but I'll still try my best to describe everything as well as I can so that people who are just listening will be able to enjoy it as well. Um, so I guess let's just jump right into it. The Behar brothers have released their component video to VGA and SCART converter called the Garo. This is the first time anybody's designed one of these specifically for retro gaming use, and it's got a bunch of cool features. Um, all of their boxes have a scanliner built in now, which is pretty awesome for anybody that wants to add scanlines to component video sources like the Nintendo Wii. But it also has two outputs, regular VGA and then SCART, which will be RGBS. Um, and the important thing about that is you'll be able to run it right through any SCART switch, and you'll also be able to run it into monitors that uh, don't even support RGBHV. Um, I have a Sony BVM that even though it's pretty high-end, uh, you have to put even 480p and 720p sources through RGBS. So this will take care of all of that. Um, also, some people have reported better results through the RGB input of their FrameMeister as opposed to the D-terminal with the component input. So it's a possibility that you'll be able to get uh, better upscaling output from your component sources through this, but I'll obviously test that when it comes in. Um, I ordered one myself, and as soon as, uh, as soon as I receive it, I'll do a much better review and really just put it through its paces. But uh, anybody that needs component to either VGA or SCART, this is definitely the box for you. Definitely check this out. Also, I just wanted to check in about the JP21 version of the GSCART switch. Um, there's no new news on that yet, but hopefully there will be this week. Um, and as soon as there is, I'll tweet and post on Facebook about it. And just to let everybody know that um, any really important time-critical news, I'm still going to post immediately on social media. Um, I'm, we'll always talk about it, you know, in the weekly roundup, but, uh, you know, anything that's critical is going to be sent out immediately. Um, I'm saving this for to talk about it kind of after the fact, and also to show things that maybe aren't critical but everybody might want to take a look at. Um, and what I want to talk about next is probably one of them. Pictures were posted on the SMS Power forums about a Sega Master System floppy disk drive adapter. Um, I thought this was really cool because it kind of just showed the insight into some of the things that Sega had been working on in the 90s. Um, I believe they said this was shown at a CES, uh, and they even showed a demo of it, um, an actual working prototype. So I don't really think a floppy disk drive would have expanded what the Master System could do that much, but it's just still really cool to see it and kind of neat to see all these things that didn't quite come to fruition, but they were working on. Also, a ROM of an unreleased NES game called Happily Ever After was uploaded to NintendoPlayer.com. Um, this was a game that was based on the failed sequel of Snow White. Uh, and supposedly it's pretty hard, um, but it looks like your typical side-scrolling NES game. Um, a very detailed description of the game and what happened to it is available on Nintendo Player. So if anybody's interested, I'll leave the link in the uh, description. But it seems like a pretty neat game and at least something worth trying. Yeah, it's always interesting to me to find some of these unreleased games, like uh, 
the Sonic 2 lost levels and things like that, and just kind of seeing where the developers were at and seeing how finished some of these actually were. So uh, if anybody likes playing, you know, weird and rare NES ROMs, definitely give this one a shot. Next, there's been another update to the Game Boy interface software. Um, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, let me just give you a really quick rundown of what it does and where it came from. Back in 2003, Nintendo released an official adapter called the Game Boy Player. This allowed you to play Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance games all through a GameCube. Um, it also added a couple other features like using the GBA as a controller um, and accessing features that were only available when it was hooked up in this mode. Um, it came with a boot disk that only worked in 480i or 480p modes, which wasn't ideal for really any situation. Um, and there was a bit of lag with it as well. So the developer Extremes came up with his own boot disk for it. Uh, it's completely independent from the actual Game Boy Player boot disk and has a bunch of really cool features. Um, I just created an entire page on my website dedicated to it. So um, I really suggest anybody that's into this would check it out. But basically, it's just a very low lag um, replacement boot disk that has a ton more features, great zoom options, and that's something anybody that owns a Game Boy Player should really look into. So I definitely suggest giving the page a read and kind of checking out what Extremes has to offer for it as well. I also just wanted to show a quick demo of how the Game Boy interface software works with the Game Boy Advance controller. Um, and if you check the GBI page on my website, it shows videos of how exactly to boot into it and pretty much every other detail you could need for it. This video is just demonstrating the Game Boy interface functionality with the Game Boy Advance connector. So I'm just going to go through into Swiss. Going to load uh, the latest Game Boy interface. And after it's booted, that's when I'm going to take the Game Boy Advance, which is now plugged into the second port. Uh, so you could still use the GameCube uh, in Player One for functionality and turn it on. Sometimes when I've done this, it doesn't turn on right away. The power doesn't go on because it doesn't sync with the GameCube. Just turn it off and back on if that happens. Uh, but after this boots, you should be able to use it exactly as if. So it's pretty neat. And uh, Select works too, which is pretty cool because if you use any controller adapters like SNES or NES, uh, controller is mapped to Z, so it doesn't bring that up. But yeah, it's pretty cool, and that way you get the full functionality of the original Game Boy Player, but on the much better software. Next up, Firebrand X released updated profiles for the XRGB Mini. Uh, if you go to his site and scroll down to the very bottom, you could always get the zip of the latest profiles. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know exactly what this is about, uh, I just want to give a quick explanation. So the XRGB Mini Framemeister is the most popular retro gaming upscaler at the moment, and it has features that allows you to put pre-configured profiles on an SD card and load them from there, rather than have to configure every time you turn it on. Firebrand X prides himself in making pixel-perfect patches for the Framemeister. So what that means is that uh, your average 240p image isn't 320 by 240. So for example, a Genesis is 256 by 224. So if you were to do 4x scaling, um, it would result not just in 960, but in much more than that because of the difference in pixels. You'd have 184 unused pixels on a 1080p screen, which is a bit much. So his profiles actually take that and integer scale to about what the actual resolution of the game would be per each system. So he has patches for each console and the newest ones that were just released for a Game Boy Advance through the Game Boy interface. Um, in the low latency settings, uh, which is 
pretty cool, so it really gets you the best possible, um, the largest possible image on the screen while retaining the same low lag. Um, and you end up with a bit of overscan sometimes. So, for example, on his Genesis patches, you might get um, 1120 because it was 5x. But if you think of it, I mean, it's only 40 lost pixels. And with overscan on CRT TVs, that's just about the same. Um, RGB monitors are very exact, but consumer TVs would cut off a little bit on each side, which they called overscan. Um, and a lot of the game designers at the time kind of worked around that and, and planned for that. So um, when you play the games with a little bit cut off on the top, you actually still get full menus in most cases. And it's, um, it, it ends up being a better experience in most cases, not always. And his latest patches include 4X, 5X, and 6X scaling for Game Boy Advance and Game Boy, um, with and without scan lines, of course. And they all look pretty great, in my opinion. Um, I really wish to, to have him on at some point in the future, because he'll be able to explain this stuff a lot better than me. Uh, I'm probably getting a few little details wrong, and, you know, the theory behind all this is correct, but I'm sure I'm missing a lot, and I'm sure all the Framemeister experts are probably rolling their eyes, like, right now, just going, what the hell, man? But... Hopefully, um, Firebrand X will be on within a few weeks, and he'll be able to explain this for himself and show some pretty cool video examples of what he has to offer. Okay, now I'm just going to answer a couple of the questions that people had posted in the uh, in the comments and on social media. Um, Tom Stogner asked, uh, if in theory everyone had an RGB monitor when N64 was released, do you think Nintendo would still have released them with the blurring effects? Um, it's my opinion that no, they wouldn't have because a lot of the game designers back then actually used some of the shortcomings of CRTs and, uh, and composite video to create these effects. Uh, the best example is like the waterfall in Sonic, where the game developers actually used the blurring of composite video to make it look like a running waterfall, whereas if you actually play on an RGB monitor, it's so sharp and clear, it just kind of looks like rectangles floating down the screen. So, um, yeah, that's uh, it's been a hot debate the past few weeks, and... Um, I just personally love it without any of the blurring on it, but, I mean, there's no right way, I guess, however you prefer is definitely it. Um, Jonah Reyes asked, are there any component switches that I would recommend? I actually only have uh, experience with one. I use the Audio Authority 1154A. Um, it has four inputs, um, and it also has four optical audio inputs as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's auto-switching as well as manual, um, and I never had any problems with it at all. Uh, I really loved it, and you could find them pretty cheap on eBay now, so that's the one I would recommend checking out if you need one. Next, Steve Nutter asked if I'd ever use the SDI input in the back of my RGB monitor for anything useful. Um, no, but since you mentioned it, I actually went out and bought an adapter just to see what would happen. It's just a small basic adapter, uh, requires AC power with an HDMI input on one side and a BNC connector that's HD-STI on the other. I tested it with my 32-inch BVM that has the HD-STI input uh, and my Wii U. It actually wouldn't accept a 480p signal, but it did accept 720p, and it looked great. Um, I'd like to eventually go back and do lag tests uh, and really other extensive tests, but that's all I got for now. I also have an 8-inch BVM monitor. Um, it has an input that says component SDI, but that monitor doesn't support 480p, so I'm not sure if this would even work at all or if I would even need an, a different adapter that's component SDI and not HD SDI. I really don't know much about that, but eventually I'll do more tests in the future and hopefully see if there's more we can do with it. 
Next, Jonathan Quills Tuttle asked if there was any news on an HDMI mod for the SNES. Uh, and no, nothing I'm aware of. Um, I've also been told that it's much harder to do something like that with the SNES than it was with the N64 or NES. But um, if there's any news at all, I'll definitely post because the SNES is my favorite console, so I would love something like that. Um, he also asked about emulation versus the original consoles. And to me, it's still, I have to use the original consoles. It's just not the same experience without it. But emulation is very important because the consoles aren't going to last forever, and it's great to have a history of all this stuff. So um, I always try to keep up with the best ways to emulate the old consoles and old games, but it's just still not at a place for me yet where I could sit down and play one of the old games and really not have any difference at all. And finally, uh, TF2 Frag Video asked, what makes me still interested in retro consoles? Cool question. Um, the short answer is the new ways to play them and the community. So the new ways to play them have always blown my mind. I mean, my favorite games are Super Metroid and Link to the Past, and I played them a bunch of times as a kid, and then I would always have to kind of mess with the emulators over the years just to see, um, but I usually spend more time messing with the emulators and playing the games. Um, when the Wii Virtual Console came out, that definitely sparked my interest again. Um, and then I got into the controller adapters, and then eventually got back into playing on the original consoles with RGB monitors. And the first time I played A Link to the Past on my 20-inch PVM just blew my mind. But it just kept going from there. You know, then I played it on my 29-inch XM29 with the MSU orchestral audio soundtrack. So here I am playing it almost as clear, put it on an even bigger monitor with a full CD quality soundtrack. Um, and then when I got my BVM, the 32-inch uh, widescreen one, playing like all the Super Metroid fan remakes and even original Super Metroid on that was just amazing. I mean, that's the best monitor I've ever used. And it just, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of nostalgia in there with me, just still kind of, you know, remembering what it was like to play those games as a kid. But for me, it's just experiencing the games almost like it's the first time I'm playing them because they're still just great games. Um... And so that definitely, you know, is what keeps me interested in it. Um, and, you know, whatever is coming next with the hardware. So the upscalers, 4K TVs. Can't wait to see, you know, a 4K uh, gaming upscaler on an OLED TV. I mean, that's probably going to blow my mind all over again. Um, and the community, too. So everybody that kind of chips in and does this stuff and doesn't ask for any money. You know, all the guys that did the Game Gear to Master System conversions, um, those are just really cool to play. And... All the new hardware mods, you know, the McWill screens and Tim Worthington's boards and all that, just, uh, you know, definitely keeps me interested and there seems to always be something new. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. And as always, any comments and feedback you have, I'll listen to all of it. Um, I'm really enjoying doing this so far and hopefully we'll get more people involved and more people tuned in. Um, remember to subscribe on whatever medium you want to watch it on. And uh, just one more thing for this week, I uh, wanted to share something with you guys. My band Two Weeks is releasing our second single in music video this week, so I thought it'd be kind of neat to give you guys like a little sneak preview. Um, it's an in-studio video, and it might be the only time you'll get to see Gina in action on drums. She wrote and recorded all the drums to this, and the takes that are on the video are actually the take that's on the album, so you'll get to see her in real time kind of recording. So it's pretty cool to see because she's the frontman, so you'll always see her singing and playing guitar, but she really is a badass drummer, and finally, you know, you guys get to to see the proof. So hopefully you guys will enjoy it, um, and I'll put a link to the Two Weeks Band YouTube channel, but I don't know, let me know what you think.